Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Business Leaders Radio. Now, here's your host, John Ray. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Business Leaders Radio. I'm John Ray, and yes, we've got another leader in business today. She's terrific. Esther Weinberg is her name. She is the founder and chief leadership development officer of the Ready Zone. Esther, welcome. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, John. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. I'm delighted to have you and to hear about the great work you're doing. Let's uh, fill everybody in. How are you serving folks at the Ready Zone? You know, it's it's. Uh, I would say it's an interesting inflection point now in our in our life cycle and our work more than anything else. Because if you think about it, you know, what do leaders really want inside of businesses, especially fast growing businesses today? They want to feel ready to powerfully take on all the opportunities and challenges that are at their feet. The question is, how do you do that? You know, it's a. You know, if I had, you know, it's almost like I had a leader say to me, you know, if I had the magic ticket. I would, I'm in the wrong business, you know, <laughs> right. but we do, we do it by, and we believe at the ready zone that you do it by creating workplace environments where trust, respect, and psychological safety are not just valued. I don't know if anyone would really argue with that, but they're as measured as the bottom line. And so what we've developed is what we call six zone performance indicators. And so they're a diagnostic framework that an executive can see whether or not they're performing at the level that they want to, their team is, or their organization is. And it gives them language to be able to understand how to speak to themselves about it, how to speak to their team about it, and how to speak into it for their organization. Oh, wow. Lots to unpack there. Yeah. But but, but before we get these companies to your diagnostic, let's talk about the issues that they're having. Um, and, and maybe, I mean, we we're under, you know, this is, uh, kind of an understatement. We're in a lot, of, we're in a lot of time, uh, a time of change, easy for oh, me yeah. to say time oh, yeah. of change right now. Um, oh, yeah. significantly. So, um, maybe even more so than during the pandemic. So, I mean, what, what do you, what are the mistakes, I guess, that you're seeing out there, first of all? Well, I think, you know, first of all, what you're saying is is very astute because, you know, let's just go back. You know, the last two years, to your point, we've had a complete global upending of our work, our workplaces, talent pool, supply chains, economic pressures, political climate, social issues, and life and work has become more blended before. I think when once people started working out of their garages and their closets and their bedrooms, you know, work and life really got more blended before. And if you really look at it now, what's on executive minds? So you've got a combination of talent retention, talent acquisition, supply chain issues, mental well-being, profitability, inflation, succession, workflow, hybrid work, inclusion, team performance. Um, let's see, leading and managing cascading yeah. changes. Oh, and making sure people feel valued. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, so it's, it's that all. <laughs> yeah. So when you talk about, I don't, I think that we're at this really, to your point, a really powerful inflection point where, you know, the way that we've been leading in the past, I would say that we were seeing in 2019, the way that uh, the mental health issues that executives 
that I was seeing with executives I had never seen before. Mm. And so now you spin forward several years, which I can't believe I'm actually saying to you, you know, two, three years now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and what you're seeing them, the mistakes I think that companies are making to your to your original question is is several. One is, and I and I don't want to say mistakes like, you know, error, get out there, the classic warning. But I will say one of the biggest things is that companies don't realize that their culture is portable. And the portability of culture is really vital to realize. I don't, I think what happened was that once everybody went home in March of 2020, then all of a sudden uh, workplaces started to wake up or companies started to wake up and realize that culture was portable because now you literally, it wasn't in the four walls of an office space. And so what you were seeing then come out and manifest itself in your work was really what the culture really is. And so you're seeing the the impact of that now. So there's a race to get people back to work, you know, to a physical office space, right? Mm-hmm. Now, look, I'm not saying that, and I want to be very clear about this. I'm not saying that there's good reasons not to have people in person and the connection that you have just physically being with people is really impactful. But you have to really know what is the culture that we're bringing people into? Like I had an executive say that we're really struggling with with trying to figure out the mashup of hybrid work. You know, this, okay, I got a five-day work week, which you and I both know there's no such thing as a five-day work week anymore, right? So there's a Mm -hmm. five-day work week sort of, and then we're bringing, how many of those days are we bringing people back? What are we asking them to do? And I was like, well, what, what are you coming to in those conversations at the very high level, highest levels of of the C-suite, <laughs> senior executive level? She's like, we keep going around. Mm-hmm. So all I kept saying to her was that it's the wrong conversation. The conversation is what environment are we bringing people into that they want to be here, no mm-hmm. matter if we're actually in a physical workplace or we're actually asking them to work remotely, mm-hmm. no matter what, they're coming to work here. And what is the what is the recipe of the here that we want to create in order for people to feel valued, respected? They've got a safe place to work where they feel they can do their very best. Yeah, that. Uh, wow, uh, a lot to that. Um, do you think when you talk about portable culture? Um, is the, is the race back to the office that a lot of senior management would like their employees to be, um, in the middle of right now, is, is it just, is it a wrecking, is it a misrecognition that, that they can just bring people back and the culture will get restored? Um, because it seems like as far as culture goes, once you had folks out of the office, I mean, Humpty Dumpty fell <laughs> in terms of the, the culture, right? I mean, the culture has changed and it will not go back to what it was pre-pandemic and just getting people back in the office is not going to restore it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because like I have got several clients that are going that have companies that have merged and now they're trying to figure out what that actually what does the merger or the acquisition, depending on what side you are, right, mm-hmm. looks like? And so culture is a conversation I find, you know, for example, I'm thinking about one client in particular. 
that word of culture keeps being brought up, but there is a languishing of the definition of what that is. Because, you know, we use language is really powerful. So language creates worlds. And so we use words. And unless we define it for people, they kind of have a meaning to which you choose to make it up as. So leadership, communication, uh, those words mean a lot of things to different people. Like yesterday, I was leading a group and someone said, well, we have to decide on ideas that are realistic. I said, well, who decides what reality is? Mm. That every person has their definition of reality. So if you think that an idea is realistic, I could think that it's really unrealistic, depending on what the parameters is. And mm -hmm. unless we define what those are, no. So to your point, I do think that it is a great it's such a huge opportunity to literally take a pause. And I don't mean a pause like stop working, but for executives to really put at the feet the opportunity to say, okay, well, let's redefine what we really want this culture to be because, and not just for today, but for our future. Because oftentimes we think about, you know, oftentimes like executives, and I know that are even going through reorganizations now, we think about what do we want? our workplace will look like today, but you're not planning for today because it's tomorrow really fast. <laughs> right. So it's one year plus if you can plan that far, three years plus if you're really taking out your crystal ball of what do you want this place to look like and how do you create the habits to revisit it, to know whether or not you're actually doing it. Otherwise you get language like soft skills, like these are soft skills or these are soft things to think about. But culture translates to money. People leave a company if the culture isn't right. right. And just think of how much it costs for you to actually then go out and acquire new talent and bring it back inside your organization. That costs a lot of money. It's not small, small dollars. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's talk about leadership skill sets what's the what's the one skill that you think leaders are undervaluing right now that's probably needed the most it's it's a funny thing so i'll share with you some data that we can actually unpack it to be, be really crystal clear about this i would say communication and here's what i mean by communication just to be even further clear so data shows that 70% 70% of employees avoid tough conversations with their boss, their colleagues, and their direct reports. Okay. Oh, if you wow. break it down even more, it's an average of $7,500 per conversation lost in time and resources. If you break it even further down, one in five employees estimate that their inability to actually speak up in crucial moments cost their company more than $50,000. And 40% of those folks say that they wasted two weeks or more ruminating about a problem. Wow. Now, if you add it all up, it's almost mm -hmm. three hours a week dealing with conflict that equals almost $60 billion in paid hours. Mm. So if you're an organization and you're saying to yourself, well, we have to increase our profitability. And where are we going to look? I really believe, why don't we for, Why don't we look? I mean, there's lots of places to look on your profit and loss statement and your balance sheet. But also there are things that are 
concealed and hidden. And this is one of them. I mean, if you can you imagine if 70% of so much time and effort and money is being wasted, if you were able to communicate more effectively and better, develop people to be able to know how to do that and to be able to engage in it more readily, that in itself could be a game changer. Game changer. Wow, that's compelling uh mathematics there and uh in and it really puts communication on a bottom line basis right i mean you, you, yeah i mean <laughs> that's 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 uh wow that's compelling so let's talk about the i mean there's a lot of reorganizations going on right now some are successful some are failing let's wade into that if you would and sure. talk about those that you see that are faltering right now and what they should be doing differently as they approach those reorganizations. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because I would say that years ago I noticed that we really saw that executives were having to think about reorganizations well, I've got some clients that reorg all the time, <laughs> but but they it's like the flavor of the day. But you know what happens is as an individual executive leading that kind of effort, what oftentimes is that that executive then goes to human resources, right? This is the way it normally happens. They go to HR and then they try to work with HR to figure out, cobble together what does it look like in order to have a new this or a flavor of that and this and that. And so what we realized is that an executive really needs a way to think about this. Mm. And so what we do is we really sit down with an executive individually before they go to anyone else for them to actually think strategically about this. The question is, how do you really think about it? Because oftentimes they say, oh, John, John, I don't know if you have such a great skill set for today to do this. We're going to move you into this job over here. Well, <laughs> it's not really future proofing you or the role, right? Or the right. organization. Mm -hmm. So what we like to do is we take executives through a process where we have them first think about the industry to which they're in and how it's um, reshaping over the next few years. How is it going to be old? How is it going to be new? What is, and if you're an executive at that level, you already have thoughts and ideas of how this is going to work and how this, where the industry is going, right? Mm -hmm. So you look at the state of the industry, look at the state of the organization and also the state of your team from now and one year time. Then what you, then once you have that, it's almost like you're, you're building a case. If you think about it, then you look at, okay, well, what are the goals and opportunities that are coming up for the next year? And what are the reoccurring issues and challenges that I'm seeing on my team? And then what are decisions that really need to be made now? And what are critical decisions that don't need to be made now? But I know in a year, we're really going to need to, it's going to, we're going to be faced with that. And what feedback do I need from those around me? And then what roles are critical today? Or, and what roles are not critical today, but they will be in the next one or plus years. These are, these are really interesting things to think about. So then, okay, once you have all that, it's okay, well, how are our client base or customer base or consumer base going to evolve? Mm -hmm. And then how will our services then differentiate ourselves from the competition? And who are the stakeholders and 
what do I think the challenges and barriers are going to be in delivering that? Then you can look at, okay, what are the positions that need to be added? And and what are those roles and and what do they look like? And then I can look at the people on my team and say, okay, John is great at these four things, but I know he's an A player. I want to keep him. If I evolve him over, I evolve his skill sets in this way over the next year, I know he's going to grow where the business is growing. So it's almost like helping you track better if I do all that homework ahead of time. Then you can sit down and say, who's great for what? And how do you actually, what's the mashup that you really need your team to really look like? And you have, look, how do you future-proof yourself? You know, that's probably always a question on a business owner or an executive's mind. There's no guarantees for any of this, but I've seen time and time again, if you do the process I'm talking about, you can future yourself yourself better because you're developing yourself in how to think that you can reshift as the business shifts too. You can just do you can do this process, this thinking process all over again if need be. Folks, we're here chatting with Esther Weinberg, and Esther is the founder, chief leadership development officer at the Ready Zone. Esther, let's talk about the resilience. I, I mean, I want to bring that up here yeah. because you mentioned that word. Yeah. And yet I'm sure, you know, some of your clients and certainly uh, on a bigger scale, you know, executives and leaders and organizations, um, they're told that they need to develop their resilience, but as you pointed out, they've got their own mental health struggles. I mean, they've got their own struggles mm-hmm. with, you know, how to deal with all the change that you talked about. So, um, how does all that fit together? Um, and how do you counsel your clients about that? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's an interesting word resilience, right? Because I think it gets thrown around a lot. Sure does. That's <laughs> but, why I bring it up. I want yeah. your opinion on it, right? No, it's great. It's yeah. right. Uh, like we need people to be resilient. It's like, what does that mean? And, and what I find often too, is when it's brought up, we don't develop people into it. Mm. So it's a, and also resilience looks very different in the eyes of the beholder. So I'll give you an example. What we, in one of our zones that I mentioned earlier, we have a zone called pivot moments and the, and it's around change, but we look at it, not, not about change, like change management, but we look at what are the skills and attributes you need to develop people so they can more nimbly be shifting all the time, right? Because business changes all the time. It's not like a one-time event you're doing. It's constantly changing and evolving. And so what we we teach people resiliency by teaching this concept we call pivot moments. And I'll, I'll let me break it down. So what I mean is that, look, you know this, we can't control change, right? But what we can intro- control is our intention and our actions. Mm. And if you think about it, if you ask someone to shift for a minute, 30 seconds. I can do that, right? Like I could I could shift for a moment and in a moment. But if you think about it, the sum of those small changes lead to big ones. Sometimes change doesn't happen overnight. It's like those small increments. It's kind of like if you're gonna run a marathon, you just don't go run 26 miles. <laughs> you gotta run one mile and then three miles and mm-hmm. same principle, right? And we think that uh life is nothing but uh, a series of pivot moments. So it's made up of this formula, if you want to think of it this way, Uh, current reality, 
Um, then there's, I would I break it down this way, current reality, possibility, and opportunity. What I mean by that is you look at how you feel or your emotions about the change. And I'll give you an example in a second. Second is how you experience the change and the actions or inactions you're taking, which could support the changes or not. Like if you get real with yourself, you know, <laughs> sometimes sometimes we say we're really, we're committed to something, but then if you really looked at your actions, you know, it's kind of like, I really want to lose weight, but then I'm constantly eating chocolate cake, you know, <laughs> so it's a little bit. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example of a client of mine. So I was meeting with a my client, Aisha, who has gotten very frustrated with her boss, Jamila. And Jamila is the president at a division at an organization. And she's very frustrated that Jamila can't make decisions. She vacillates. She goes back on her decisions. She really can't handle conflict. And Aisha's, you know, high performer. She's the number two executive on the in the division. And so what she does is she steps in, starts making decisions where she shouldn't, or she pushes more strategic decisions out of sheer frustration, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really tough. But I said to her, you know, what's your intention for your relationship with your boss? And she's like, look, I I just want to manage up with greater ease. I want to be a partner, collaborator with my boss. And look, when things get really frustrated, I just want to step away because I'm I don't want to lean in and solve everything. So we went through this formula. We talked about what her emotions were. She said she's angry, she's frustrated, she's disappointed. And I said, okay, well, what's your experience of your boss? And she's like, look, she doesn't know how to manage or lead. Her lack of decision-making is really going to get us into trouble, which it did long-term. She is a strategic. She leads with her ego. I said, okay, well, what actions are you taking? Like you say, you've got this really great intention of managing up with great ease, being a collaborator. Like, okay, so what's the evidence that you're doing it? She starts laughing and she's like, look. I'm stepping in to make decisions where it's not appropriate. Mm. <laughs> when it was time to present a reorganization plan that she was supposed to work on with one of her peers, who also can't make decisions, <laughs> she just basically did it. And she wasn't talking with her boss or sharing with her boss her frustrations. So when we looked at and we we paused to get real to see what's feasible, that's what I call possibility. And that means that you see something for what it is, not what you prefer. And I think that's really critical in change, that you see something for what it is, not your preference. And then when you realize what's really happening, you could put yourself in the driver's seat of choice. And I call that opportunity to decide practically and pragmatically what you need to stop and start doing in order to make the change happen. And so I really believe in my bones because I've been teaching this for a long time is that if if you just shepherd this formula with your folks, then they can move through change faster because the first thing that happens when people move through change is they personalize it. So resilience happens on a very personal level. Like I want to know how this is like, okay, this is great. The company is merging, but how's it impacting me? Do I have a job? Am I am am I making money? Uh, am I going to have opportunity? Yes, no. That's what I want to know first. So if you actually teach people these pivot moment formula, then they can absolutely handle these moment by moment decisions, reactions, responses much more nimbly. Yeah, that's wow! Terrific advice. So what? Let's let's 
pivot toward your, uh, I guess, how you help and how you serve these executives and their organizations. Talk about, you mentioned the zones. I think probably some folks want to hear more about that. So talk sure. about your different zones and how that, how that, that, that's your prism, I guess, for looking at issues and problems. Yeah. So, and, and I want to be clear when I share them, there's six of them mm-hmm. and I'm going to just share with them very simply sure. just because it's a lot to remember. Right. But it's, mm-hmm. but I want to say too, is that um, they're not a progression. It's not like, Oh, I conquer that. Oh, I'm onto that. Right. <laughs> it's right. not quite how that works. So pivot ready that I mentioned is all around your ability to shift action ready. I call that the foundation of the house. It's your level of emotional agility. You know, it's, it's that old adage that, you know, we take actions that lead to results. We don't like the results. We change the actions, right? It's the definition of insanity, mm. but we never deal with the observer and how you see the world, the one making those decisions about the actions. So that we deal with an action ready. Influence ready is all your love. It has to do with building relationships, your level of visibility and influence, because influence is really a leadership currency. Connect ready is all around communication, taking responsibility for your communication. Impact ready is building high performance teams. And culture ready is building an organization where coaching and mentoring is just what you do. Like You don't even need to teach it anymore because people are just doing it inside of the organization. You don't need a mentoring program. People are just doing it. So those are the six zones. And when we start working with people, what we do is we've developed our own assessment. And so we like to see, you know, let's take a pulse check where you're at, where you think mm-hmm. you're at, you know? And so from there, then we can calibrate where the work really needs to be. And like I said, you know, it's not a progression. You may find yourself stronger in some areas, weaker in other areas that you think you may find even in the zone, there's strong areas and weak areas simultaneously. So it's, it's, it's not a uh, science in that way, but it's a really great indicator to see where you need to leverage up, where you need to step back, where you need to dive in more. Yeah. You, you refer to these as uh, zone performance indicators. I like that language because what, what it really, uh, indicates is that like these are this is a dashboard and you've got six dials and they're all measuring different things right and the as you say the performance can go up it can go down i mean this is not like a building block sort of thing i mean you can let something go and regress right yeah i mean look you know as an example you know, when I, when we talk about, let's just take impact ready. When we're talking about building teams, like I was, um, I was doing a session with the group a few weeks ago and we were, we were talking about this and I said, okay, well, you know, we give people a model for how to look at where you are in the pendulum swinging of building a team and, and people, and it's funny that most people said, oh, we're, we're in, we're past goal setting. We're, we're in doing the work. We're, we're on the edge of more high performance. I said, okay. So, um, what I'd like you to show me then is where is your your vision or your purpose? Like, where is that written down about where you're going and where your North Star is and where that's headed? And all of a sudden you see a, a bunch of blank faces, like, huh? Like they have a sock in their mouth. And I said, yeah, like, sh- sh- I, I love to read that. Like, I want to want to get inspired by your work. And they're like, we don't have that. And I said, okay, and how have you defined how, what the agreements of how you're working together? 
And so people will say to me, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, well, all the non-sexy stuff, like, well, how often are you communicating? How often are you meeting? What happens if you need to debate? How are you onboarding new people onto the team? Once again, like a sock in the mouth. And so I'm like, okay, well, you may have certain elements of a high performance team, but if we inserted these, it can make it even more. You know, it's not when I say missing, it's not wrong or broken. It's that if it was inserted in the equation, it can make all the difference. And so let's insert these elements in the equation because I know it's it can make and will make all the difference. So it's it's interesting too that even sometimes even just having the conversation and reawakening people, and it's not that you're doing something that's terrible because you know people always want to look for what's awful, but it's that how do we look for the good and then build on that to develop more inside the organization? That's really the basis of what we're doing. Esther, I'd love it if you could maybe share. For those that are interested in uh, maybe working with you, how does the in, how, what, how does the initial conversation uh, unfold? I mean, how does that how does that uh, what are you looking for when you sit down and talk to someone about their own situation and their organization for the first time? Yeah, I mean. I would say the first thing that that I'm looking for is willingness and openness and curiosity because Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a, you know, it's not a, uh, you're not a carburetor, right? You're not a car. We're not fixing it. (laughs) So (laughs) we're evolving something. (laughs) And so now there may be things that, you know, for example, like I got a, a call from someone the other day and said to me, Hey, look, I know we're doing all this teamwork, but I'm telling you, there's massive issues with the leader. And unless we deal with that, the work that we're doing is never going to manifest itself. And so we need to do different kind of work in order for the work to work. And so I would say the first thing that we do, like I mentioned, is we sit down, we do provide the ready zone assessment so that people could see what zones that they're really, that they're looking at in terms of where they are. Then what we do is look at what area do you believe if we went to work on it, would actually, if we did that, could actually have a massive impact on the rest. And so, and sometimes it's it's not it's not an obvious thing. So sometimes it could be, hey, if we get our North Star right on our team, then we have context. Then we can calibrate all our work against that. And that would really be meaningful. So there was an organization we were working with, um, they were growing really fast. They were about a $40 million company, $40, $50 million company. And when we started working with them, you know, the founder group were, were trying to figure out their mechanics together. They'd worked together a long time. So we realigned the founder group. And then we realized they didn't have their fast growing in all these different markets globally, but they had no, they really collaboratively never sat down to say, here's where we intentionally want to grow. And so that's what we did. We sat down and said, okay, well, let's create a vision of where you want to grow, what that actually looks like. And then they never had any key strategies, you know, almost like these big, bold steps for them to take in order to realize that. So then we, and also folks inside the organization were never really involved in creating any of that. Well, they never had it, so it wouldn't involve anybody doing it. So what we did is we took folks from all around the world and about 30 of them and sat together and said, let's. Like almost like a focus group, a large focus group, and said, well, let's figure this out together. And we came up with these 
real key strategies that then enabled the organization to really realign, realign talent, realign the work, realign their efforts in order to calibrate them for the future. And then, of course, what would naturally happen, their revenue increased. <laughs> so, so, you know, year over year, even you know, very highly. And so that's an example of how we work with folks and some of the results that we get too. I love that. And maybe you just answered my next question, but I would love it if you would share um, a success story you're particularly proud of that illustrates uh, for folks the great work that you do. Yeah, I mean, that's one of them. I mean, mm-hmm. I would really say, you know, it's interesting because originally I was, I was, we were brought in because they said, hey, you know, this group of, of folks that founded this organization, but working together for years, but they're off in their communication and their relationships. And so it's causing people to go around each other. And, you know, like what I said before, all the time, effort, and energy that gets wasted. Mm-hmm. And so we went to work on that. And as we started to, to work on that, we, of course, started to see other things that really needed and also that they were excited about because that excitement of ca- of collaborating together was sucked out. So once we injected that inside of their small team, then all of a sudden they could have greater self-agency about what they wanted to create for the organization and chart a different path. They got board, new board members that they had never gotten before that really were visionaries. They added new skill sets to the board. They were able to, like I said, create a vision. They will create be able to create strategy. We were able to also up-level talent inside of the organization because we had them almost be captains of each of the strategies. And then we were able to elevate one of the executives inside of the organization to be the person that would oversee all the strategy. So he became, this person became chief strategy officer. So, you know, at the end of the day, there was so much incredible leveraging of internal talent and up-leveling them, plus being able to grow revenue and to grow. So that's a, just elaborate a little bit on my last example. Yeah, I I love that. Thank you for doing that. Um, Esther, I can't imagine there aren't some folks that having heard you wouldn't want to be in touch. Uh, Very compelling information and thank you and the insights and thank you for sharing those. Uh, Let's give folks directions on how they can find you. Okay. It's really super easy. You just go to my website. You go to the readyzone.com. So T-H-E-R-E-A-D-Y-Z-O-N-E.com. And when you go there, also there's some great resources too. There you can download my book there as well. Mm-hmm. And so there's some great resources for folks there too. Terrific. Esther Weinberg, folks, with the Ready Zone. She's the founder and chief leadership development officer there. Uh Great work, Esther. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. Thank you so much, John. Really appreciate the time. Absolutely. Hey, folks, that's it for this edition of Business Leaders Radio. Join us next time. Thank you.